Hey everyone, welcome to episode 97 of the MDG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast to ever host all of Team Lotus Box. <laughs> and it's, you know, whatever this, whatever we're calling this house. <laughs> what are we calling this house? I don't we, know. We gotta figure that out. Apparently soon, the Zanshin doesn't work. The, so. Yeah, the Zanshin's a little narrow, yeah, I think. We'll, it is. we'll figure it out and get back to everybody. Yeah, we'll, we'll come up with something. But we've got, uh, and you may overhear... Jonathan Rossum downstairs. Yeah, he is very loud. (laughs) Extremely loud. But we are recording from, we got a little bit added to our studio setup. Yep. Gonna keep making moves and eventually. Slowly but surely. There's (laughs) curtains now. It's great. Yep. Yep. It's a good time. So we're we're getting there. I'm CCR. Collins Mullen is also here. Yep. We're gonna talk about magic. As per usual. As per usual. <laughs> uh, we want to give a quick shout out to our new patrons. So thanks a lot to Eric and Rob for signing up and supporting us. Definitely really appreciate it. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. It'd be super awesome. Obviously, no need to. The podcast is always free. But if you think what we're doing is cool and you want to help us out, you know, we will keep buying curtains. So, yep, for sure. We always appreciate it. Um, so today, I figure there's a few things in the news, some Twitter takes, that sort of thing. So I figure we'll talk about some of those. And then, you know, we've got the Invitational coming up this weekend. We've been kind of focusing on preparing for that. It's all I've been doing the past couple of days, and it will all be all I'm doing for the next couple of days. So. so we'll talk about our preparation for that, but I kind of wanted to focus a little bit on our experiences with Gruel this past weekend yep. and testing for it, because that's been kind of a hot topic, and I think yep. we can focus in and give some like really kind of laser-targeted information on for that. For sure, for sure. Um, and then if we have some extra time, there's plenty more Modern Horizon spoilers, so we'll just scroll through the list and see what catches our eye, and then... I don't think, no, I guess we haven't really talked about this yet, but I don't think we're going to do a whole set review for Modern Horizons. Okay. But maybe we will steal an idea from some other podcasts and do like dueling top 10 lists or something like that. Ah, that we each make uh, blind to each other. Well, so I thought we might do something like, like kind of draft picks. Okay. Like I take the, the card I'm most excited about, you take one you're most excited about. So that way we end up with 20 cards ah, total. Gotcha. So. Okay. Solid, solid. I'm in. So yeah, I, I think that could be fun, because I don't think we need to do a full set review of a set that's not standard legal. Right. There's going to be a lot of cards that just, you know, aren't really worth talking about, because... They're... Modern is a really high power level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are going to be about, probably about 20 cards that break into Modern, I would say, Yeah, if I had to estimate. But... I mean, maybe more, but we don't need to talk about every single, like, niche, like, sideboard playable kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, But before we get... Two into it, we want to start with a Keeper Mole. So in keeping with the theme of today's show, uh, this is a Gruel Hand. So this is on the draw, in the dark. We've got Mountain, a Forest, two Rootbound Crags, a Gruel Spellbreaker, a Nullhide Ferox, and a Skargan Hellkite. Yeah. So we are starting the game on turn three, according to the cards that are in our hand. Yeah. I mean, we have the 3-4-5 curve, which is, you know, great, honestly, but... This deck really is all about its acceleration on turn one and turn two. Mm-hmm. We're running not only for Llanowar Elves, but we're also running for Paradise Druids. Yeah. And we'll go into the exact build that we kind of like settled on for this past weekend. Yeah, yeah for sure. But it, it's very 
interested in mana guy giant monster like that play pattern is what it's designed to do right and the deck really does revolve a lot around nullhide ferox Mm -hmm. that was kind of the card that we discovered kind of going into the uh mcq weekend uh of last weekend where you know we figured that gruel was in a really good spot so we were testing a lot with it Mm -hmm. and then we started testing a little bit of nullhide ferox in the sideboard and just discovered it was insane and ended up you with bring it in in every matchup yeah. so so the idea of the deck is that we can play ferox on turn three as you know as much as we can yeah this hand is close to that it's got four lands uh you know a three drop a ferox and a, a big five drop dragon mm-hmm. which is nice and we're on the draw so i think i think that this hand is a keep because we Still have two shots at finding some sort of accelerant, yeah, which is fine. Or just any two drop, I think, would just really tie this mm-hmm. hand completely together. Even if we brick off and draw lands or other big things, then you know, once we get to turn three, we're just going to be slamming haymakers right. every turn on out. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like this hand wants a mana guy, certainly. Yeah, yeah. but it doesn't need one right. in the way that like when we're looking at modern hands and we're like this hand has one land and i need a second one to play mm-hmm. magic and i don't have cantrip like, <laughs> right right like that's not yeah. how badly this needs the mana guy yeah. like even on the draw this curve beats medium like medium draws out of a lot of decks in the format. i would be pretty happy i would snap this off if i knew that my opponent was playing mono red because mm-hmm. you're just playing a four four into a six six into a five five you know it's... right and you get to start attacking really early yeah. which is pretty key too right yeah so yeah i you know this hand is definitely a little strange because you know you 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 want to have that acceleration and you want to be doing things on you know the first two turns i right. think that's pretty important in terms of not getting run over in standard right now is that you need to be doing things on turn two yeah you need to have done something by turn two the format is so board oriented because of all of these planeswalkers in all of these decks and not having power on the board early yeah is punishing no for sure but the haste on like two of the guys in the hand helps make up for that if if we're on the draw and our opponent plays a three mana planeswalker on turn three Depending on what they do with it, we can just, like, kill it back if it's a Narset or something. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Right. The haste helps make up for it. But, yeah, this is close, and I think, ultimately, it does just get there. It's not the ideal, that what the deck wants to do, though. But, yeah. So, we got a lot of stuff happening on Twitter, in the news, etc. Twitter drama. Yeah. So, <laughs> number one, what I kind of wanted to talk about is this phenomenon of uh, GoFundMes for people who have won their MCQs. Right. Just as background, in case anybody hasn't really been paying attention, uh, during the whole, like, establishing Mythic Championships, the Wizards got rid of the all travel vouchers, both mm-hmm. for, like, pro levels going forward and for MCQ winners. And so, and they've kind of replaced that with a minimum prize at the Mythic Championship, but that is only $500. Right. Which means that especially people in like South America or whatever, depending on where the Mythic Championship is, they have very expensive plane tickets that that minimum prize isn't going to cover. And even if it does cover much of it, they still have to front the money for those tickets, Yeah, which a lot of people just straight up don't have. Yep. And so some people have been starting GoFundMes after winning an MCQ. Some people's friends have started GoFundMes <laughs> for them right. when they've said, I don't know if I can go to this. Right. And then there has been some amount of backlash on Twitter as well. People saying, like, hey, why aren't you at least, like, 
offering equity in your tournament for people who support you going um, and also people just kind of not happy that people are asking for money to go play magic right so i figured we'd just talk about this for a minute um yeah yeah i mean you know i I feel like i have a pretty strong stance on this okay (laughs) which is that you know if if you if you are in a position where you need to start a GoFundMe, then you should feel comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. And if you are in the position to donate to a GoFundMe... And you want and to. And you want to, you should feel comfortable doing that yeah. without any sort of other weird societal pressures about <laughs> whether or not that's, like, an acceptable thing to do. Like, it's... I think it's just up to, you know, each individual to make that decision for themselves. And, you know, if you don't... If you're personally not in a position to donate or whatever, but somebody else is, you know, why are you? (laughs) (laughs) Why is it your business? Why is it your business to, like, you know, make anybody involved in that feel bad about themselves? I don't understand. (laughs) I mean, the main takeaway for me is, like, taking away these travel vouchers is having a very real impact on the ability of people to, like, chase the dream of the the Mythic Championship. Right. Um, And it is a shame to have the status quo be, oh my god, I finally won this MCQ. Mm-hmm. How am I going to get to the Mythic Championship? That's right. not a happy yeah. state of affairs. No, for sure. I, I like I know that it even, before all of these GoFundMes started kicking off, it even got to the point where some people in like the top four of these MCQs just scooped for extra cash equity because mm-hmm. they knew that they just it was just wasn't going to be a reasonable thing for them to do, and that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, going to the Pro Tour has been people's dreams for a long time now, right? Yeah. So it's it's nice if that can become a reality, and if that has to become a reality through just you know the the community coming together and making that a reality for these people, then that's that's great. I'm so happy that that is happening. Yeah. One one tweet that I saw that really, honestly, really kind of pissed me off uh, was somebody tweeted, and it was somebody suggesting that you give equity in your tournament to people who help you go, which I think is a totally reasonable idea. If that's how you want to get to the tournament, then that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, but suggesting that people do that so they at least maintain a little dignity... <laughs> And that's infuriating to me because right. I don't think there's anything undignified or, like, emasculating or whatever that you're ascribing to it. Like, there's nothing bad about asking for help. And if you ask for help and people choose to give it, like, that is a net positive because the people who chose to help wanted to help. Right. And they they do. And then that's nice. Right. And just don't donate to somebody's GoFundMe if you don't think that there's they should that they need money or whatever like right i don't know i mean i i do think there is some risk of like you know we normalize this sort of thing and then that makes wizards not have to offer travel vouchers in the future because like oh the community will take care of it and that's like a whole complicated discussion whole complicated and nuanced discussion about like the place of charity in society and why it may actually be kind of a net negative for society but that's uh that's more of a socialism talking point than a magic the gathering <laughs> podcast talking point yeah yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know if i'm quite ready to transition this into a socialism podcast no pro- it's probably not quite our idiom here yeah. so right um but yeah anyways if you can't afford your your mythic championship 
There's no shame in starting a GoFundMe. There's yeah. no shame in asking your friends for help. Right. And however you want to do that. Yeah. I think it's fine. And, you know, of all the things that you can be mad about, it's that's just that's just <laughs> not one of them. It's just not. You, it's, just, can't. you can't, just can't be mad about somebody else, like, giving other people the opportunity to help them achieve this, like, positive thing. None of the, none of the things happening here are, like, inherently bad on anybody's part. No. And, <laughs> I like, don't understand. Like, Matt Sperling had a, a series of tweets about it, and one of them was, and you should be highly suspicious if one of these GoFundMe uh people as though it's like a category of people like, oh yeah these go gotta, me people we these, gotta, these pores <laughs> these damn pores <laughs> these poor people yeah sorry matt but not everybody has a lot of money yes and you know his his whole series of tweets really reminded me of like how much could a banana cost ten dollars ten dollars it's like you're so out of touch yeah it's it's wild and like like one of his tweets was like and you should be very suspicious if one of these GoFundMe people shows up and like has a fo- like casts foil thought sees as though right. number one like people don't borrow cards from each other yeah. or like have cards of sentimental value that they've owned for you know thought sees is like 15 years old at this point right. so. of course um but yeah just come on man yeah i yeah i don't know if your first instinct when people are like asking for help is like how are people going to abuse this and get money that they don't deserve right it's like that's the wrong response to that i right. think so anyways anyways all right more drama. what's the next thing that we can get mad about all right <laughs> this uh, is a mad podcast i can already tell so we're... angry today <laughs> oh oh man and by angry i mean we're laughing a lot so i need to turn down the gain a little bit so okay. we don't peak yeah a little fair, fair. so sideboard guides yeah, little, sideboard guides. A little bit of drama surrounding both, like, whether or not people should, like, seek out sideboard guides as opposed to, like, really honing their skill with a deck and intuitively understanding how to sideboard right. and keep, like, their options open during different matchups. And also the... And we, we have a little bit of connection to this because I think it may have stemmed from the, members of the Lotus Box patreon yeah. who are in their discord get deck lists and get sideboard guides right and there was a little bit of drama around the idea of like selling sideboard guides that may be even a couple of days out of date right or a week out of date or something and whether or not that should be something that that people are paying for if they're getting like tricked by that idea yeah. but so to start with just like sideboard guides in general i've definitely so like one of the big like pushers of the sideboard guide paradigm is the fact that like star city requires their authors when they post deck lists to provide a sideboard guide in their article. So we're getting, I don't know if it's spoiled, but we're certainly getting used to having sideboard guides, even for like pretty brand new decks or deck ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, there's just this idea that uh, I wouldn't say it's wrong, but this idea that, Hey, if you pick up a deck, you should learn it well enough that, the sideboarding plans are you know kind of in your heart you should (laughs) sit down and know like okay i don't want these cards i do want these kinds of cards right um and that sideboard guides may be kind of removing people's ability to grow those skills i guess yeah Um, right well and it is true that you know blindly following a sideboard guide is going to limit your growth in as a magic the gathering player that's just true yeah if you want to be 
the best of the best and you know your objective in magic is to get as good as you can your journey should not stop there (laughs) yes but that doesn't mean that it can't be a part of your you know active seeking information Mm -hmm. like cyber guides can be very informative um especially if you're going in kind of from ground zero of like i've I've never played this deck before i want to learn like some basic level of what should i do in this spot yeah and so you know it's definitely true that cyborg guides can be hindering in that way Mm -hmm. but having access to additional resources is never going to you know it's not like if you have the drive to get better and to learn these things on your own that kind of thing shouldn't stop you yeah right it's just more information that you can use right and there are a lot of you know there are a lot of different like demographics here there's like the people who really want to get better and like learn the game become a student and and for those people i would recommend you know if you really want to feel comfortable playing a deck you should get to the point where you feel like you can write your own sideboard guide Mm -hmm. you know that's like if like if you get to that point then that's kind of like a a a milestone of like wow i feel like i understand the sideboarding concepts enough that i could like create this on my own yeah that's great but there's also another group of people who like don't have the time to put into getting there and they just want to be able to play this deck like at their F&M mm-hmm. and like have a reasonable idea of what to do with sideboarding, they don't have the time commitment to to do that or they're not like pursuing like heavy duty tournaments or whatever. Yeah. Those people should still be able to have access to that kind of information. Or you are pursuing those kinds of tournaments, but you had a busy week. Sure. And your friend just came up with Jeskai Planeswalkers. <laughs> right. And how would you possibly, like, the format is a week and a half old. Yeah. We don't know how to sideboard these brand new Planeswalker decks yet, so have your smart friend tell you what to do in right. the important matchups, yeah. and you get a weekend where maybe, you know, you didn't have to do quite as much work, and you still have a good deck and a good plan. Right. And then when you do have some time, then you can work on it. But yeah, and and honestly... Sideboard guides, if you approach them in a way, in an active learning way, they can be very helpful. A lot of times when I pick up a new deck, I will take the sideboard guide from the article or that my friend handed to me or whatever. I'll use that for my first 20-something matches that I play with the deck. Right. And then I will adjust and I'll be like, okay, I am, you know, I'm losing to Ixalan's Binding out of these Esper decks. So I really actually need to be bringing in Thrashing Brontodons in those matchups or something like that. And you right. you start to understand what's important. You start to understand why those cards come in and out in certain matchups. And then you can adapt when things change. But, like, starting with the sideboarding guide can be really helpful when you're a little bit lost with, like, how the deck works and what role it's supposed to take in different matchups. So. For sure. Absolutely. So, yeah. And paying for content, honestly... Please pay for content. Please, please we, pay for content. Uh, <laughs> you know, people people who make content need like as like as like there are a lot of people in the magic community who whose sole income is Magic the Gathering content, mm-hmm. and you know a lot of it is for free. A, a massive amount of it is for free. Yeah, and that's you know that's great. As content needs to be for free, otherwise it's just you know it's just it's just how the community grows. But you know if if you can afford to pay for some of the content that you're consuming and and want to do that and like you know want to like read star city premium articles then yeah i i think that it's important that there is some content on star city games 
website that is behind a paywall. I, I like that. And I think it's important for the consumer or for the for the producers of that. Otherwise, they're just it's not a sustainable system. Yeah. I mean, there has to be magic content production is a little odd compared to other types of I mean, even like gaming content production is a little odd compared to like creating television shows or something like that right. in that there's no like necessarily inherent need to monetize because it is a hobby and maybe we sit down and do this podcast every week and if even if we made no money off of the patreon we'd still be doing we'd probably still be doing it yeah and that maybe like kind of devalues the work a little bit sure but we do it because it's fun right uh and then it's nice if we get a little bit of money so we can upgrade our recording system and, and make a studio and that sort of thing right um but you know we put a lot of time into this and people who develop, you know, the, the amount of work that I see like Zan and Dylan and Evan and you doing just refining deck lists and coming up with plans and adapting to the metagame, like it's a lot of work. And I'm benefiting a lot by coming home from work, <laughs> sitting down and like listening to you guys, grabbing your lists and trying them out. Right. And I get to shortcut a little bit. I get to piggyback off of your work. And there's a lot of value to the things that you guys are giving me here. Uh, I'm in the fortunate position where I'm just around, so I'm going to, like, get that information. Yeah. But the amount of work that you guys are putting in and the the value that I'm getting out of it is certainly – I don't know how to measure it in, like, a monetary way, but it certainly is worth an amount of money. Sure. Um, And I'm going to – be playing better decks and be playing better because of it so i don't know how much money any of that is necessarily worth but the amount of work that goes into it is a lot and i think that if you find a source of content that is providing information that you might not be able to work out on your own because you don't have the time you don't have the group of people to work with you don't have the resources or you just like aren't quite there yet in your magic journey it can absolutely be worth paying money for that stuff. Right. Um, not everything is worth... Not all the content out there is going to be worth the things that people are charging for them, certainly. Right. But if you find the thing that's right for you, then that's cool. And I think, like, criticizing people for offering a product based on hard work that they've done is, like, not... It's, it's like, kind of lame. Yeah. Like, we're all doing the best we can in this, like, <laughs> horrifying capitalist dystopia. So <laughs> just, like... <laughs> Give people a break. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if 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 content producers choose to put their content behind a paywall, mm-hmm. that's their choice. And if if that it precludes you from consuming their content, so be it. But I don't, you know, kind of the same way where I don't really understand people getting mad about other people, you know, setting up a GoFundMe for a plane ticket. If if you don't view that content as worth the you know whatever people are charging for it, don't don't, don't pay buy for it. it. Yeah. yeah. If somebody else does, then you know, all right, let them let them pay for it. Yep. Agree. So to uh, less controversial topic, <laughs> we're getting the London Mulligan. Oh, thank God. I guess, it, I guess it actually is less controversial in that you can't contest that we are getting the London Mulligan. Right. You, yeah. can, you can contest whether we want the London Mulligan. I'm but... so happy about the London Mulligan. Yeah. I think it's great. I, I've always been a very strong proponent of uh, variance reduction in Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. I like it. I think it's important for it to exist in some capacity just because, you know, we host open tournaments and 
it's that variance is going to be important for enough people to come and participate in those tournaments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, magic becomes significantly less fun if the the like top fifty percent of people almost always beat the bottom fifty percent of people. Right. That it, it's a lot less enjoyable for half of the crowd then. Right. And then once they leave, it's a lot less enjoyable for the next bottom half of the crowd. Right. Right. For sure. And I I like how Magic the Gathering it 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 feels like as as far as it is an esport it's an esport that you know most people can participate in mm-hmm. other games that are out right now that are big esports feel more like spectator sports smash smash melee smash ultimate these are like big spectator sports and the people who top eight these tournaments top eight every tournament yeah the names that are in the top eights of all of these majors are the same every time and that's that's fine. You know, I think that those kinds of games are, are cool because the people who have put the time and effort into being that good. Direct correlation. Direct to correlation the and all yeah. that stuff. And I love watching those tournaments. Mm-hmm. Like I every time there's like a, you know, Smash Ultimate or Smash Melee top eight going on, I always have it like in the background mm-hmm. on Twitch because I, you know, because you, you get familiar with the players and, you know, you root for people. It's great. It's great. Magic is a little different in the sense that it feels like if you want to participate in these tournaments, you can have a shot mm-hmm. at, you know, top eighting a Grand Prix, top eighting an Open or whatever. Yeah. And and that comes from the variance involved because the reality is that it's likely that you're just not one of the top 10 people in the room. And I, I kind of like that as and I want it to exist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's good. But that aside, the, I think that the variance that currently exists in Magic could use a little dulling down. Especially the non-game-related right. variants, I yeah. think, is the, the most detrimental variance in the game. Right. It's just an op- opening hands that don't function. Yes. Right. So, you know, that and that not only eliminates some of the variants, which I like, mm-hmm. but it also eliminates, right, exactly, the feel-bads that you're yeah. talking about of just like, I didn't get to play this game because I drew only forests in my green-red deck. Yep. <laughs> you know, I had I had one of those at the MCQ. It wasn't fun. Nope. <laughs> you know, if, you can, if we can just like make the games more like games of Magic the Gathering that are fun and very interesting and Magic the Gathering is the most complex game in existence probably, we want to get to that, that part of Magic, yeah. not the part where you just, you don't have any stuff. For sure. And I mean, I definitely am strongly in favor for of it for limited and for standard. Mm-hmm. Um, it does, you know, we had a pro tour where it clearly didn't destroy modern as a format. Mm-hmm. I think going forward, like if Neoform really becomes a thing because of the London Mulligan rule, that means we just get to ban Neoform. Yeah. And that's, I, I don't disagree with the idea that, hey, if stuff ends up being really bonkers due to the London Mulligan rule... It's really that that stuff was kind of bonkers all along Mm -hmm. and maybe just like was ruining games in the 01 bracket rather than in the the 3 0 bracket. Right, yeah. Right, and also I think it's important to remember that magic is constantly evolving. You know, magic as it looks today is not close to what it looked like 10 years ago. Right. It's completely different. And magic 10 years from now is. Probably, hopefully, <laughs> not gonna look remotely close to what it looks like right now. Sure, you know, if it did, kind of lame, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so all these things when, and all the complaints that I hear about like these kinds of changes, 
they, I think it mostly stems from some kind of fear of that change, even though that change is just happening and inevitable. Mm -hmm. And if these eternal formats that people know and love end up changing a little bit, because they will. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that legacy is going to look different. Vintage is going to look different. Modern is going to look different. Modern is definitely going to look different after, you know, <laughs> for sure. Modern Horizons. You know, I think that's okay. And it 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 does, it is bad for some people because they really might like how magic looks in like a particular snapshot and they get fond of that and they want to hold on to it yeah you know like all the old school 93 94 players they loved <laughs> magic when it looked like that and they created a thing where it just gets to look like that forever great you know you get to have your thing that's well, awesome. i just really don't yeah. want to have to adapt or evolve or... right you know and and honestly i think that's fine and like can exist but in terms of the the core formats that are going to get cards introduced to them continually all the time and mm -hmm. all this other stuff you just can't there's nothing that you can do to prevent that kind of change from happening so you know yeah if modern or you know if these if these formats start to change a little bit like i trust the research and development team to maintain magic the gathering as a good strong you know complicated in-depth game I don't think that that like fundamental element of it is ever going to go away. So yeah, let's you know let's try out some new stuff and yeah, we'll see where it takes us. Yeah, I mean, there's a really I mostly agree, and I really am not particularly concerned about what's going to happen here. I think that it's a it's an interesting change. It's clearly going to benefit some formats, and it might have some maybe not exactly the effects we want, but also some good effects on other formats. Yeah. Um, I would encourage people to check out Zvi's article from a couple of months ago from the announcement of the London Mulligan rule, because he actually had some really insightful criticisms about the London Mulligan. And his conclusion in particular talks about some of the like subtle ways in which this could influence games and deck building and deck choices in ways that like don't become super noticeable but are kind of subtle and fly under the radar but like fundamentally change formats but i don't necessarily know that changing the formats in those ways is going to be a bad thing things change like you said things magic changes yeah and maybe it's just going to change in a particular way i don't love the fact that the new mulligan rule does make scouting more powerful because mulliganing, yeah. knowing what your opponent's deck is, <laughs> game one is that much better. Right. But... Well, you know, more things that could uh, uh, potentially need addressing in the future. Right. Right. Like, uh, the most recent Pro Tour had open deck lists. Yeah. And great. Yeah. I like that. I mean, logistically, I don't know how that would work at, like, an open or something. Sure. You know, after a couple of rounds, like, knowing what all the name players are playing is, like, kind of a real thing, a real possibility at an open with the London Mulligan rule and the right. importance of doing that. No, for sure. So that's that's a little bit of a loss that I'm not super excited about, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah. And, well, I, I kind of think that open deck lists just should exist even at opens. And I think it's it, it's probably pretty reasonable to facilitate if you just have players fill out another deck list mm -hmm. that's true um, and, just and they just have that in their deck box and yeah. you can exchange deck lists or whatever but i, I really i want... just really want my opponent to cast a basilica bell haunt and put my null hide varax into play and have no idea that was gonna happen. well fair fair <laughs> fair yeah 
Yeah, that idea was thrown around for limited Grand Prix a while back, and I really liked that idea. Hmm. And the reason that that was a topic at the time was because of the cheating problem that okay. a lot of uh, limited tournaments have these gotcha. days. It's not a good look when uh, vendors are selling charging monster stores <laughs> for a dollar <laughs> at, at limited Grand Prix. Yeah, that's, that's a <laughs> that's a bad sign. <laughs> yeah, a dollar really for her out of common? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> Uncommon. Oh, excuse me. That's... Yeah. Sorry. Um, But yeah. And then finally, our last nonsense news thing is uh, we had a lot of people talking about how much they were kind of missing GP coverage again. Yes. Um, There was no GP coverage of GP Kansas City, and that was standard, you know, a week before the Invitational, and possibly had a lot of good information. The format was developing. You know, Gruel was the most highly played deck on day two, and that's you know, an interesting spot for the format to have gone in, and we just didn't get to watch any of that. Yeah, really unexpected. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest, when I... Well, Unexpected that it got there, but not, like, unexpected that, like... Oh, we knew Gruul was great. Yeah, and if you were in our Patreon, you also also (laughs) knew Gruul was great and had a deck list in Sideboard Guide, but... (laughs) That's true. um, We did did post that. But, yeah, I honestly, I didn't expect the, like, everybody to be on it so quickly. You know, Red was so far the most popular deck in every other tournament, mm-hmm. and Gruul was just nowhere yeah. to be seen. But I think that really kind of illustrates how quickly everybody is adapting these days. Uh, like, you know, people, and it's probably a lot attributed to Arena, mm-hmm. where there's just a, a exponentially more That's games so of Magic the Gathering that are being played all the time because yep. of Arena. Yep, yep. And people, people, you know, have access to their arena collection, and they can figure out like what they want, and mm-hmm. then they'll do what they can to get the cards for the tournament. Right. But it really would have been nice to see that live tournament this past weekend. Right. I, I just well, enjoy yeah. having magic coverage no. going on, especially for relevant formats. Very sad. Um, and one take that I that I read and really kind of resonated with me was like. We kind of replaced GP coverage with like the, these MPL match, you know, weekly weekly coverage of the MPL matches, mm-hmm. and that is players in the MPL who are getting paid a salary to play Magic playing for buys in super high value tournaments that we will never get to play in. Right, and so there's no when I'm watching. SCG open coverage and when I'm watching GP coverage when I was watching GP coverage there's a little bit of like a fear of missing out thing going on and right. you're like dang why am I not at that tournament yeah. like I wish I were playing right you don't feel bad at all with the MPL stuff because yeah. that's a thing that you see it and you're like I just don't have access to that that's that's not the kind of magic that I'm going to be playing right and so I think that's like a pretty big loss for like the re- recruitment side of things or something or for at least like the engagement in playing the game sort of thing like i can't really see myself in huey jensen's seat there but i can certainly see myself at 6-0 in a gp or something like that yeah and yeah so and that's i think that connects a little bit with what you were saying about like why it's important to keep variants in magic keep the accessibility like present the game as something that anybody can play when you present it as an esport played by streamers with 10,000 plus followers or 
people who are getting paid to play Magic because they were very successful a couple of years in a row, then maybe it's not like a game that people see themselves like being a part of in the same way. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, maybe that's us taking our turn as the curmudgeons who don't want to see any change. Absolutely. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but we got to we got to take our yeah. turn as that every once in a while. But that's, you know, that's the part of magic that I fell in love with, which right. is the, you know, oh, this, I could do this. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, oh, I could I could talk to the Grand Prix one day, you and know. That, that's like a big reason why, like, the open coverage is so good to, for me. Whenever I miss an open, like, I watch coverage and then yeah. I get to see people I know Right. At like 11 and 1. Like almost <laughs> yeah. top it. Like, holy crap. Or like, Zen wins is winning in. Like, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. We we should mention that there is this Red Bull tournament series thing now. Ooh, yeah. Uh, like the Red Bull Untapped Challenge or something. I don't really understand all of the details about it, but they were, it looks like they're being pretty transparent with how you qualify for it there's qualifying tournaments you have to apply for it they have a certain number of spots for mpl players for streamers uh for people who are ranked mythic on arena and then the rest of the slots are distributed randomly among applicants so that transparency is kind of nice um but ultimately i'm just really excited to have like non watsy non game store entities running tournaments yeah like i think that's super important yeah no i mean the fact that red bull's taken on something like that i think (laughs) is really exciting yeah like, you know, this could be the start of something awesome. Yeah, yeah. And and hopefully, you know, my in my ideal world, they are presented in ways that you watch them and you're like, I could be there. And, I mean, I'm going to try. Like, I'm certainly going to apply for one of these qualifier tournaments. And, right. Um, so. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> so. So got to, I got to hit Mythic real early this month <laughs> is the plan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I've been doing that mostly by jamming gruel on arena so we should take a minute talk about standard and especially talk about gruel because that's what we we were working on for a while gruel so right back to nullhide ferox my new favorite card (laughs) well so the concept of all of the gruel decks yeah and you can look at two different 60s of gruel and they can overlap in basically like the lands and the lanoir elves and maybe some domries and then almost all of the rest of the cards might be different i guess they all have spellbreakers but the two drops are super variable. The four drops, some don't even have four rekindling phoenixes. Um, the, whatever your top end is, whether you have a lot of planeswalkers, whether you have a lot of monsters, there's lots of different builds. But ultimately, the entire reason to play Gruul is that you have bodies that are bigger than the red deck, so you can just get on board and not die to red and then kill them back. And you have ways to just threaten and sort of butcher opposing planeswalkers. Yeah. And that is the whole point of playing red-green in this format, is those two things. Yeah, But uh, we ended up with a build that Dylan Donegan sort of came up with that featured heavily featured Nullhide, Ferox, and four drops. Uh, so the, the two drops of choice were Growth Chamber Guardian, which I don't love, but it does give you staying power, and Paradise Druid, which dies to Chain Whirler, but is great in every other situation. <laughs> Yes. Um, and the the goal is really to cast a turn three Phoenix or Nullhide Ferox, and then ideally follow that up with, you know, your full playset of Skark and Hellkites. Yeah. Um, and so simple deck, you know, it is just green red monsters basically. Yep. 
so I guess start off by telling me like why this deck works and well, then why it was a good choice for this past weekend. Yeah, we this past weekend we hit this beautiful spot in the meta game where nobody could kill a four CMC X five or greater. Yes. <laughs> Uh, all of the removal spells were either Lava Coil or... Um, Tyrant Scorn. Tyrant Scorn. Yeah. And that was kind of like it. And there was like, you know, the occasional Vraska's Contempt floating around or whatever. Mm-hmm. But m- mostly, if you had like a big X5 or greater, then your opponent was going to have a hard time. Yeah. So we kind of because of that, we were like, all right, we'll try some Nullhide Ferroxes in the sideboard. And then we were like, oh, these Nullhide Ferroxes, they're great. And they're coming in in every matchup. <laughs> so we put some in the main. They continue to be great. And then we just figured that, oh, uh, we're in this like really niche spot where these like just really big creatures are doing really, really well. Mm-hmm. And nobody was playing sweepers. And we were able to just kind of take advantage of that by playing pretty basic deck of Mana dorks. Uh, red green monsters. Big dudes. It's just old school red green monsters. Yep. Just yeah. Ramping out the big dudes. With definitely some of the more powerful like monsters oh, that yeah. we've seen. You know. Right. Nullhide Ferox is a 6 6 hex proof. Yeah, and no, it's it's great. Um Skargan Hellkite isn't quite glory bringer, but right. it does an okay impression sometimes. It does. And it can kill stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there there there's definitely times where you just play it as a five five and mow down your opponent's creatures mm-hmm. the next turn and that's it. Yeah. 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 So Yeah, I mean a lot of good Domri fight targets between Nullhide Ferox and Girl Spellbreaker. Right. Um, the the deck, honestly, like, even though it's just like, okay, I want to play the biggest creatures that hit the hardest, They the cards did come together in a way that, like, oh, these cards all work together really well. Domri's very good in the deck. Even giving the extra power to your four power flyers makes your clock faster. The, the Feroxes give you just big attacks that then make your flying guys kill them really quickly. Like, the deck does work together very well. Um, and so I've been having a lot of fun playing it. And, yeah, it definitely, at one point, was, you know, I'd play against Jeskai Planeswalkers, and just none of their removal would touch my guys, unless they had, like, a double Deafening Glarian turn. Even playing against Esper, you put down a Rekindling Phoenix, and it's just safe. Every once in a while, they've Raskas Contempt it, and you just trade evenly on mana, and that's fine. Right. But, like, none of their stuff actually killed it. Yeah. Um, so there definitely was a point where like this this build of the deck was beating basically everything that people showed up with. Yeah, and kind of the initial reason why we were drawn to Gruul was because of its matchup against Red. Mm-hmm. Gruul beats up on Red pretty well, just because all their dudes are huge and the Red creatures can't really keep up with it. Yeah. But then, you know, once we started, you know, we continued to beat up on Red. But then, yeah, as you're saying, we started noticing that this configuration did really well against just kind of the rest of the format. It was just fast enough to get under a lot of what everybody else was trying to do. Right. Because everybody else seemed to be in some sort of mid-range arms race of who can do the best mid-rangey thing possible. Mm-hmm. And the other big thing was that the planeswalkers that everybody seems to be running mm-hmm. is the haste creatures are great against the, these planeswalkers. For sure. You can just get them dead. And flyers are, you know, you're playing the best flyers of anybody. Yeah. That, that really helps, too. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, though, the deck is definitely... Yeah, you know, so the deck a, got out there. Yeah. <laughs> it got out there. It did pretty well at the um, at the Grand Prix, and everybody's deck list has pretty much switched to be able to handle it in some capacity. People are running more Wraths. 
Yeah, Esper now having access to some number. Like, I think the Esper Planeswalker deck is a significantly better choice for this weekend. Yeah. Um, or Esper Hero with a lot of Planeswalkers, whatever right. it is. Um, it's, but, it's a Planeswalker deck. Yeah. And then it runs this really just good two-drop right now. So yeah, That just yeah. blocks for the Planeswalkers right. pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that deck having access to Kai's Wrath and D-Spark is really the big one that, that transforms its ability to fight the monsters in the yeah. matchup. Yeah, the more D-Sparks people are running, the less Skargan Hellkites you want to be running. Yeah, so. yeah. and I, I even ran into, like yesterday playing against Jeskai Walkers, I ran into someone who game one had Lava Coils in their deck, and mm-hmm. even ha- it was a Teferi turn. Like, usually uh, against the oldest builds of Jeskai Walkers, like... Game one, you can just play your Skargan Hellkite as a 4-4 haste, and it's yeah. just going to keep hitting stuff. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I did. That was just my normal play pattern, but then my opponent, it was on a Teferi plus one turn even, and then so they were just able to counter my Hellkite with their Lava Coil. And yeah. that that's bad. If people are aware of the deck and doing these things to their builds, then you definitely lose percentage points. Right. That said, I do think I'm still pretty likely to register probably this version of the deck this weekend mm-hmm. um part of that is just because i've gotten a bunch of reps in with the deck and for me changing decks a day or two before a tournament is even if it is a, a better position the deck is going to ultimately cost me percentage points yeah i have reached the point where i have an intuitive feeling for how my opponents are going to sideboard against me i know who brings in lyra's and how many lyra answers i need which is weirdly kind of like the biggest deal for the deck lyra's everywhere yeah and lyra's really good right now lyra's pretty good you should definitely look into running lyra's if you can yeah (laughs) it's good against the phoenix decks it's good against the gruel decks it's good against mono red it's just powerful right everything except for these planeswalker removal spell dot deck right you know uh lyra is just the worst thing that any other deck can look at across from the board from them <laughs> yes and and it's even good against some of the builds of the command the dreadhorde deck so mm-hmm. less good against the ones that have teferi in them but if they're like the sultai version or something it's actually my my gut instinct is like don't bring in don't have lyra's against sultai but these sultai decks do not have vivian reed in them yeah. so you just have a giant flying threat that mm-hmm. That shuts things down. So. Yeah, and pressuring uh, Command the Dreadhorde deck's life total is pretty crucial. Right, right, and and having a way to do that in the air because their blockers are yeah throwaway blockers on the ground. <laughs> right, uh, yeah. is is really good. Um, so as far as like matchups go for Gruul, very heavily favored against like Jeskai Planeswalker style decks. Definitely favored against Red. The Esper Planeswalker decks are significantly harder right now if your opponent knows what they're doing. Yeah. If they're just running Bell Haunts out there and you get to get free Feroxes... That's just game. That's a different story. Yeah. But, you know, if I go downstairs and I play against Rossum, like, he's probably going to be me. He's probably got, like, 60% on me or something like that. So Yeah. And against the Command of the Jedhorde decks, you just kind of have to lean really hard on your Flyers to pressure their Planeswalkers and their life total... That can be a difficult dance because sometimes you pressure their Planeswalker and then they're just like, I will gain six life this turn. Or you pressure their life total and they're just like, I'll gain six life this turn. Or you pressure their Planeswalker and they're like, well, now I get to cast this Command the Dreadhorde. Yeah. So it's, it's it's a tough dance. But hopefully for me, the amount of time I put in with the deck, and I played that matchup a bunch of times, so hopefully when I run into it at the NV, I'll, I'll know what to do. And yeah. it'll be it'll be fine. Reasonable. We'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I it's it's definitely up there on my list of decks as well. Yeah, Gruel. I, I can totally see myself registering Gruel for this weekend. Yeah, it's I inherently definitely quite need powerful. to figure something out about the Esper matchup, mm-hmm. which is kind of scary because Esper seems to be it's, Esper is kind of building up to be the boogeyman of the Invitational weekend. It seems like a lot of the good players are likely to be on yeah. the Esper Hero Planeswalker deck. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just really solid. It's fine against everything, mm-hmm. and that's what everybody loves. Yep. So, so I'll definitely be looking into that. And then, you know, of course, red is going to be pretty heavily represented as well. Red is still great. <laughs> it's just a deck that is strong enough that you're just not going to be able to completely shut it out. Experimental Frenzy is just a card that is always going to have the potential to kill you no mm-hmm. matter how many <laughs> mortifies you're running you might just not draw them and then die so <laughs> for sure right yeah and i mean i'm kind of just hoping that like i run into a couple of the modern specialists and they just pick up red because it's you know yeah a deck that yeah and the then list it... is good you know the list is good and right and then I just play a Nullhide Ferox is kind of the goal there. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be definitely keeping my finger on that pulse mm-hmm. kind of in the couple of days leading up to the Invitational, um, maybe even like the day before, uh, where like a lot of people who are testing very rigorously, like right now, a lot of different decks have said, "Screw it, I'm just gonna play red." Mm-hmm. And if enough people are in that camp, Gruel might be a really good spot. Yeah. Again, anyways. So. Yeah. And it's certainly not impossible to lose to red with gruel like, oh yeah there's there's always you can always find a way to lose to red yes red just has some draws that are oppressive yeah so yeah i you know i got turned forward earlier today i was just like oh okay yeah all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes you take them into the mid game and they're just like here's an experimental frenzy and two yitu lava runners go and it's just right. like all right well i think i'm in trouble here yeah but one of the benefits of playing gruel in that matchup is you kill them back so quickly yeah. that Frenzy is actually not... Like, Frenzy is always bad when you're behind. Oh, yeah. Because you have to hit the solutions to the problem rather than just generic right. threats. And Red versus Gruel just isn't a game that's going to take longer than, like, seven or eight turns. Yeah. Kind of one way or the other. And Frenzy needs the game to take longer than seven or eight turns to really be utilized fully. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've gotten games to a point where, like... We trade off a lot of resources, you know, Nullhide Ferox, like two for ones them or three for ones them or whatever, or just cost them a lot of tempo to deal with. Yeah. And then I finally just like land a Skargan Hellkite when I'm at like 16 life mm-hmm. and I make it a 5-5. Five five. And then they play an Experimental Frenzy and pass. And I'm yeah. like, just chunking them. <laughs> I think I win this. Like, I right. just, they, they can't beat this. I'm right. just going to hit them four times and kill whatever creatures they put into play. Right. So that ability to end the game is is crucial yeah um matchups that i really don't want to play against uh i agree gotta find a way to feel comfortable in that esper matchup and i'm not totally sure what the solution is there it might be true that we need to move away from nullhide ferox and go back to nissa nissa Uh, is really good in that matchup. nissa is just so strong yeah so yeah yeah, it is taking out one of my favorite aspects of the deck to yeah, do that. Yeah, I know. But I understand. We got really attached to Nullhide Ferox, but it might be important to just let it go. 6-6 six, six is so big. It's so big, it's so untouchable, it's great. But it's really bad against hero tokens. <laughs> yes, really bad against hero tokens, really bad against D-Spark. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, okay, now it's four mana, kill it. Right. But, right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Also scared of if anybody shows up with any, if anybody plays a breeding pool against me, I'm just like, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Cause oh, if, right. The mass manipulation decks, you cannot beat. It's terrible. Right. Or um, if they're on these like sorcery speed nexus decks with Nissas instead of wilderness reclamations, yeah. can't beat that either. Or even just like any of the Bant variants. Yeah. That are like, even if you're just ramping into either Lyra or um, Oketra, Oketra, like yeah. either one of those, you're probably going to lose too. Yeah, I mean, Oketra is... I've definitely beaten Oketra by having two flyers a reasonable sure. number of times. Yeah. But absolutely, you know, if they go mana guy, turn two, turn one mana guy, turn two mana guy, yeah. and then they Oketra you, like, you're not winning that race. Right. So... And if they have a liar out, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> collision it. Yeah. Or it's not gonna be a good time. No, <laughs> yeah. absolutely not. Right. I have fallen a little bit in love with Collision Colossus, though. Card's great. It's very good. Yep. I well, first of all, I love pump spells. Yes, <laughs> I have a fondness of pump spells that comes from learning how to play Magic in Theros Limited. <laughs> I just you should just turn those into so many cards. It's great. Plus, but plus four power, a couple of toughness, and trample. Mm -hmm. Like that does that ruins a lot of combat steps. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, that like that having having access to that, and then also having access to a removal spell for a flyer. Yeah, it's a good time. It's just. So much better than putting Crawl, Har Crawl Harpooner in your deck. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Crawl Harpooner. That is, yeah. It's not much no, you want. No, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Right. Um, yeah, if, especially now that we don't have, like, a chance of killing one-drop flyers with it. There's yeah. just, like, no upside, right. I, don't, yeah. I don't feel If like. people aren't playing Mono Blue, there's, you just shouldn't have Crawl Harpooner in your deck. No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, so... I also wanted to talk about how people can adjust their decks for Gruul. Stuff I've seen is, you know, more Kai's Wraths, more D-Sparks. Uh, I saw a Solar Blaze out of Jeskai was yeah. one thing I wanted to mention. Yeah, yeah. Anything that deals with big bodies. Right. Um, and these are one reason why, I know we talked about, like, maybe trimming on Phoenixes. Maybe we don't have to run a whole set of those. The ability to deploy further threats onto a board that they could Wrath. I think makes Phoenix just too important to trim on now that people are higher on Kaya's wrath I and stuff. I totally agree. I was thinking about that as well. Yeah. If people are going up on cards like Kaya's wrath, mm -hmm. this is great. Because if you, you know, if you have your Nullhide Ferox out and then your next play is Phoenix and they were planning on wrathing you, all of a sudden you saw this 4-3 flyer that's going to live through that wrath. Yep. So that's good. It just, it's a very safe feeling when you do stuff like that. Yep. And I mean, threat decks in standard... The whole idea is to play the threats that match up against removal. And yeah. so we want to yeah. figure out what removal people are playing this weekend and try to make sure that our threats match up against it. And that may mean transitioning back towards a Nissa deck. Nissa is also going to Sky Wrath. Yeah. So, yep. Uh, we still got a couple days of testing in us. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And we got lots of people here to do the work. So Well, yeah. I, um, I, unfortunately, I don't think... I don't think we recorded any of them. We managed to keep it pretty quiet in yeah. here. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> Ooh, not even at an hour. So why don't we pick, like, two good Modern Horizons cards to talk about. Okay. Um, we're just going to talk about just a bare couple of Modern Horizons spoilers, because I think next episode we're going to try to pick out our favorites. Excellent. Um, but you wanted to talk about this sliver? Yeah, well, I mean, this card has been getting a lot of hype, and it's probably the card I'm most excited for. <laughs> okay out of Modern Horizons so far. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there's a lot of really good stuff. Like, you know, Force of Negation is great and going to see a ton of play. Sure. But, you know, everybody's talking about that. Yeah. 
you know, and it, it's definitely clear that Modern Horizons is trying to give life to a few archetypes that were suffering a little bit. And Cloud Shredder Sliver is is kind of on the top of my list for probably the first thing I'm going to test okay. with under the new circumstances of the, uh, you know, as soon as Modern is in the new phase of a lot of drastic changes, everybody's going to be in pandemonium trying a bunch of new stuff out. So better it, join it might them. Be true, yeah, it might be true that the first deck I register on Magic Online is going to be Slivers because... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love creature decks, yep. and I love Aether Vial, and Cloud Trevor Sliver just gives Sliver so much punch that I think that they can pretty consistently be a turn four deck, which I think is just necessary in modern these days. So this is red or white for a 1-1 one, one Sliver with Sliver creatures you control have flying and haste. Yeah. So evasion and haste to right. your team on one card. Yeah. That's a lot. For sure. And, you know, that just paired with a couple of Sliver Lords, and your opponent's just dead. Yeah. It's just over. Yeah. There's the, there's not a lot of block and flying creatures in yeah. modern. Like, you're uh, just hitting them. Right. Yeah. Remember Manus Rider? Everybody loves Manus Rider, right? Do you yeah. know why that card is great? It's because it's got flying and haste. That's really good. Those are the two keywords that you want on well, your creatures. And a lot of power and toughness, but that's the thing that Slivers well, does. Yeah, Slivers pretty is well. pretty good about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely see it, like... You know, in general, you have to be doing something extra with your aggro decks mm-hmm. in modern. Yeah. Um, you can't just be putting power... To, like, Wild Nakadal is not a card. It's not going to do it. You know, like, Humans disrupts with Freebooter and Meddling Mage and Thalia to buy you just enough time to, to kill them. Yeah. Hollow One, which isn't really a deck anymore, but when it is... Or, or you know, Death Shadow or something like that, they have giant guys that cost like weird resources and they're, they're not just like playing a straight up game yeah slivers is almost playing a straight up game except that once you hit a certain number of slivers in play three to four or something like that then your slivers just become absolute monsters yeah so i wonder i'd be more interested in slivers if there's some way to like really cheat this process like, I kind of wanted it to be, like, a combo-ish deck or something like that. Like, I wish we had, like, sure. a Patriarch's bidding to return all your slivers from your graveyard to play and just kill them all at once or something. But I can see if it. you're thinking more of, like, an Ether Vial or a Collected Company kind of thing, that, yeah. that could work, too, as long as our slivers are just straight-up good enough. I mean, yeah. Like, the idea that I have for the deck is it's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, slivers, Collected Company, Vial. Yeah. Trying to get them dead as soon as possible. Okay. A bunch of lords. And you don't really have that much disruption, but the clock on this deck seems ridiculously fast. Mm-hmm. And we have so many slivers that you actually probably have, like, some sideboard strategies. No, and then, yeah, right. That's That was kind of my next thing, is that there there's a lot of stuff that slivers has access to that can be very annoying and disruptive for specific opponents. Mm-hmm. So game one's just probably going to be try to get them dead. Yeah. But post-board, you can have things that make your slivers hexproof, which, or not hexproof, but what's the term for, you have to pay two more or it gets countered? Frost-Titan? Yeah, that like taxes their... Yeah, yeah. like there's that sliver uh, that can be really annoying for some decks, and then they just have a lot of tools. Yeah, yeah, there's like a, there's probably multiple, but you can definitely give your slivers lifelink, right? Like that's one of the things. Yeah, there's just a three mana lifelink sliver. Yeah, I just, Um, I don't know what the available slivers are anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's just, uh, I think that 
that card in and of itself is so powerful, giving all your silvers flying in haste, that I, I want to look into it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I mean, haste is, like, the best ability for constructed power level creatures yeah. to have. Yeah. So that's, I, I could see it, for sure. I'm kind of excited about this goofy little guy, Vesperlark. So we've got a baby Revelark. Uh, it's two and a white for a 2-1 flying. When Vesperlark leaves the battlefield, return target creature card with power one or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. And it's got Evoke of one and a white. Ooh. So in standard, when Revelark was legal, the Revelark deck featured a time spiral card called Body Double, which is a clone for a creature in your graveyard. Yeah. And basically, if you have a Revelark in your graveyard and a Body Double, Body Double becomes Revelark and then is unkillable because whenever it goes to the graveyard it returns itself to play mm-hmm. and another creature if you have one but and so a lot of games were just won by like this four three that you just had really no way of dealing with um modern certainly that's not like really a thing yeah. but this really enables the whole process very easily if you manage to get a body double in your graveyard it's really easy to evoke this vesper lark to get it into play or just play the vesper lark and then if it dies you get the body double into play however you want to do it based on what's going yeah. on you know, then you have an unkillable 2-1 flyer, which is not the most powerful thing in the world. But we got a couple of different sacrifice outlets in this set. You know, if you have Yogmoth, you can sacrifice this to draw a bunch of cards and kill all your opponent's creatures. Right. Um, this works beautifully with Unearth, which we got in the set, which actually I'm probably more excited about than Vesper. Like, I really hope that Unearth is playable in Modern, because I've kind of wanted that card for a long time, and now I can't really think of why, but... <laughs> Yeah, I mean this this card. It, it I mean it just kind of screams one of those cards that it's very abusable in mm-hmm. many contexts. Yeah, and probably in like fair ways, like in you know modern power level ways, yeah. abusable. But yeah, I'm I'm very excited to see what kind of comes out of these creature combo-y decks. Yeah, I mean I'm just kind of excited. I I know this is not high enough power level for modern. But I really want to, like, cast Unearth on an Eternal Witness, returning my Unearth to my hand. Mm-hmm. Like, I really wish, like, that could be a thing that was reasonable to do in the format. Yeah. I'm not really holding my breath. That's no, a, for sure. a little too slow and value-based. But. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, in some matchups, that could be that could be good. Yeah. Like, you know, playing against, you know, some control deck or something. Yeah, and you just, like, get back an Eternal Witness, get back in another Eternal Witness. Like, value. Cool, man. Let's go. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, we'll do our, you know, big look at our favorite cards from the set next week, or maybe, I don't know exactly how timing is going to look, because we're definitely going to talk about the Invitational afterward, but it'll also just be time for a new modern format as well. Because, well, so timing wise, when does Modern Horizons... So is it pre-release release weekend is the week Invitational after... weekend. So it's release oh, weekend okay. is a week after the Invitational. Okay, gotcha. So it um, will be legal. And then when is Grand Prix DC? Yeah, we are planning on going to that. And that is limited. I'm very excited to play a limited Grand Prix. Yeah. I've been I I've been holding off from playing limited uh-huh. this week. But last week was a, it was a disaster because <laughs> yeah, last week just... I also really needed to test a lot of standard. But you were doing a lot of War of the Spark drafting. I did a lot of War of the Spark and Dominaria And Dominaria Well, It's just you get to play it on Arena. Yep. And it's, you know, it's great. You're building your collection and yeah. All of these things. <laughs> but yeah. it's time to get to work. Yeah. Time to get to work. But then after the Invitational, I'm just going to be drafting Modern Horizons like nobody's business. Yep. 
Yep. If I scrub out of day one of the Envy, I'm definitely going to play some side events seeking to get tickets to buy some Modern Horizons boxes. That'll that'll be the goal. But, you know, first off, I'm going to try to 8-0 that day one. That'll, that's the goal. Oh, no, for sure. Or yeah. or 3131 is perfectly acceptable. Yeah, as, well. as long as we can do that again the next day. Yeah. And, and then you're in top eight. Yep. I mean, I'm picking 3-1 decks for this this whole thing. That's <laughs> that's the goal. Like, consistent, powerful decks yeah. that can sometimes run into somebody who's doing something that's particularly good against you, but has a shot against everything. Right. No, for sure. So, yeah. We will definitely be talking about Modern Horizons and the MV next week. Just... For a quick Patreon question of the week, uh, Lee has asked us, what are y'all doing for episode 100? Uh, Do we have an answer for that? Right. So for those of you who have been listening to our intro have heard that this is episode 97. Uh, So that means that our 100th episode is only three episodes away. Yep. And so we're still in the midst of completely planning everything out for it. But here's what we've got so far. And Colin's... Let me know if any of this is completely new to you. Excellent. So number one, we are definitely going to start broadcasting live, starting with episode 100. Live broadcasted recordings. So we're going to be on Twitch. Um, I don't know how many viewers we're going to get, but it's not that important. Anybody who wants to hang out will be able to and ask questions and chat with us, and we will do our best to answer them uh, during the podcast. So I think... That'll be a lot of fun. I'm excited. Um, try to get this studio space set up so that it is aesthetically pleasing and we come across and look like we know what we we're doing, even <laughs> though that's questionable. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a pipe dream, Chris. Come on. <laughs> yeah. People listen to us. They must think we're doing something, right? There we go. That's fair. That's um, fair. So, I mean, that's the big thing is we're, we're definitely going to start broadcasting live, but some of you who pay attention to the Patreon rewards might have noticed that that is one of the rewards is that you get to listen into our live recordings, which hasn't really been a thing that's like happened because we just haven't been super set up for it. And people haven't been particularly bugging us about making that available, even if they are at the tier. So, and, you know, you've been in Germany and stuff. Yeah, so <laughs> so it, it's been a little difficult to yeah. do that. So that's that what that means is we're going to be redoing our Patreon tiers pretty completely i think yeah um and so just sort of like look forward to announcements about that we still have some kinks to work out and stuff but we're going to i think my goal is to have some physical rewards for every tier going forward because i think that that is something that we can provide now and then have some other ancillary benefits i'm hoping that we can figure out some ways to do like flare in the discord and that sort of thing and you know some amount of uh, additional access to us as well as you go up the tiers i don't want to be too like mercenary about it like anybody can always dm me on, on twitter or whatever yeah but definitely want to make sure that people who want to support us get some support from us back yeah and so we will have some pretty some more specific announcements but we are going to be completely revamping those tiers going forward so for those of you that signed up for the ten dollar tier recently like we got you like we we will be getting Stay some good tuned. stuff to you not not just deck lists and sideboarding guides we'll we'll have some cool stuff too yeah but yeah yeah so just wanted to get that out there sounds about right so for everybody who is a patron thanks so much we really appreciate your support anybody who would like to become one head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or you can go straight to mtggrindcast.com where we have links to that um, we also have links to collins's coaching services 
and we have links to all our social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. Um, so, yeah. Thanks a lot for listening, and have a great week. Peace.